They are our 11 warriors. No, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays, Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom with certainly a much more positive vibe in Columbus this week than we were feeling last week. Of course, last week, Ohio State was coming off a loss to Michigan, and we didn't know what game we'd be talking about right now. But the good news for the Buckeyes is we are talking about a college football playoff game this week because Ohio State did get into the CFP as the number four seed in the college football playoff. The Buckeyes will be playing in the Peach Bowl. We'll actually be joined later in today's show by Gary Stoken, the CEO of the Peach Bowl, to talk to him about what uh, Ohio State and its fans can expect in the Peach Bowl. So looking forward to that. But want to start out just by talking about this matchup and really, first of all, just talking about the seeding for Ohio State. Do we think Ohio State got it right? We knew Ohio State was going to need help from either USC or TCU losing. It ended up getting both of those things, but the committee going with TCU as the three seed, Ohio State as the four seed. What say you, Griffin? Is that the correct seeding? Yeah, I think so, Dan. I, I think I was pretty confident after the the manner in which TCU lost, given that they did take Kansas State to overtime. There was a lot of talk about, listen, they, they lost, but they did lose in a championship game, which was something that Ohio State didn't even play in in general. And you have to think that the TCU already had, I think, a, a double digit win margin of victory against Kansas State earlier in the season. So that was a game that they had beaten that opponent opponent previously. Very close loss there. So I, I was pretty confident, despite the fact that we were talking behind the scenes about, man, is the the committee is going to see that that re, that potential rematch of obviously the game with Michigan and Ohio State as the potential two three matchup. Is that going to be too enticing an option for them to turn away? But I think they, they did the right thing there with putting Ohio State four, even though I think people would argue that TCU would probably could could be an easier matchup for the number one seed in Georgia than Ohio State. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the committee did get it right. I think when you when you look at the fact that I mean, first of all, TCU has 12 wins and Ohio State has 11 and TCU's loss of a conference championship game came in overtime. I mean, that was a very close, very competitive game for TCU, whereas Ohio State's only loss was, of course, a 22 point loss to Michigan in that last regular season game and Ohio state didn't make the conference championship game. So I think to me, if you're looking at it objectively, I I think TCU deserved that number three seed after Georgia and Michigan. But you know, I mean, the the good news for Ohio state is it only mattered from a seating perspective because we were asked the question by B07841 said, assuming USC won and TCU lost, do you see USC moving up one spot? I think that answer is obvious, which I would agree. I think USC would certainly be the number three seed if it had won the Pac-12 championship game. And so would the committee have still taken TCU at four or would they have moved Ohio State into that spot? I mean, that that would have been interesting. Like, I do think it's a fair question. No wonder if it had actually been for a playoff spot, would the committee have have done things differently. I mean, I don't know. I mean, but the just the data we have would suggest that if USC won, Ohio State would not have made the college football playoff. It's hard to say if if, if the calculation was different, though, would the playoff committee have maybe looked at it differently if it was a discussion over actually making the playoff versus seeding? But the one thing I do know is it would have been a far tenser weekend for Ohio State. If, if USC had won, even if TCU had lost. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and you'd like to think that the committee seeing how they, they played things out with TCU and Ohio State in terms of taking the if you're taking the Ohio State cap off there and, and just thinking what the committee should do if they made the decision that way in this scenario, then you'd, you'd like to think they would have still made that decision had USC won and TCU still lost in the same manner. Of course, that wouldn't have worked out for Ohio State. But Dan, the fact of the matter is things did work out for Ohio State, and now Ryan Day has gone from last week being potentially the, the, the lowest moment of his Ohio State career. I don't think that's something that 
that many people would disagree with to now a, a new pep in his step and a, an excitement at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, which is something that Ryan Day has said repeatedly now that he's seen a lot of since Ohio State got got that chance in the CFP. But unfortunately, Dan, Ohio State's going to have, I've called it the toughest matchup in the entire tournament here because Georgia is the reigning national champion. Aside from a couple of close games, I think they're the consensus top team in the country, one of two unbeaten teams. Ohio State's already played one of those two teams. And it's it's a game that's going to be in Atlanta, Dan, in Georgia's backyard. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, Griffin, but I mean, I think for me, like, I felt like going in, even though we've already seen Ohio State lose to Michigan, I I still felt like Ohio State getting Michigan in the semifinals probably would have been a better matchup for Ohio State than getting Georgia. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, I think so, because we've looked at the Michigan game so much, right? And and I do think if if certain plays had gone the opposite way, and you obviously did a very nice piece about the games that or the plays in the game that shifted the, the momentum there. And if certain things hadn't gone the other way, I think we could have been looking at potentially a different result. And I think just a second matchup in general, Ohio State getting healthy, things could have played differently, played out differently in that matchup if we were to see it again. Georgia, on the other hand, is potentially a whole nother can of worms here for Ohio State. Now, I, I think the one thing that I think may be better about this draw for Ohio State is I think it may allow them to play a little bit looser than they would uh, against Michigan because I, I think, I mean, we, we we talked about the pressure going into the first game against Michigan. I think you multiply that by five if they play Michigan again in the college ball playoff, and we still might see that in the national championship game. And certainly Ohio State wants that opportunity. I think Ohio State would have, gladly welcomed that opportunity to play Michigan again and, and have a chance at a rematch in, in revenge. And I think it certainly added motivation for Ohio State in this game to try to earn that opportunity in the national championship game. But if, if you look historically, you know, Ohio State has typically done pretty well in this underdog role. I mean, obviously, the, the obvious example that you can compare this to is the inaugural college football playoff where Ohio State was the four seed there and they go to the South to play an SEC power, that being Alabama, and Ohio State, of course, winning that game and going on to win the national championship. I think you can certainly feel some of those vibes with with this matchup. I mean, I even think back to Clemson two years ago, again, in, in, in 2018. I mean, we, we've seen that when... Ohio, so Ohio State is not an underdog very often, but on the rare occasions when Ohio State is an underdog, Ohio State usually seems to thrive in those situations. So that's not me saying Ohio State's going to beat Georgia. I mean, I mean, I mean, Georgia's really, really good, and this is going to be a very tough matchup. And I think the the, the most obvious thing we can say is Ohio State has to play better if it's going to win this game, and Ohio State has to play a lot better than it played against Michigan if it's going to win this game. Ohio State has to play its best football of the year if it's going to win this game. And we we talked about going into that Michigan game, the need for Ohio State to play its A game, and that didn't happen. And so we, we have to see something different in this game than we saw in the game. And if, I think because of that, there, there's going to be some natural reticence from Ohio State fans of, is this team really capable of, of playing that kind of game this year is this team does this team really have what it takes to to win a game against a team as good as Georgia but I, I do feel like there's at least a chance where maybe Ohio State is able to go into this game with a healthier mindset than maybe it had going into that Michigan game yeah, Dan, and I know we were asked by by Buckeye Boss eighty one. How concerned are we about the, the confidence for Ohio State coming off of the heels of that Michigan game? And I think I, I think that does connect with something you're touching on there, which is to say that it was interesting hearing Ryan Day talk about there's going to be no fear of failure. He said going into this matchup, which you, you think about how that might have applied to the, the the mindset going into the Michigan game, and especially when you're an undefeated team at that stage of the season and you don't want to lose that 
that O there in, in the loss column and how that might have, and just the pressure of the game in general. And, and now that Ohio State's not going to, it knows it can lose, first of all, and it's going to be the underdog. Ryan Day, Ryan Day even said he he enjoys being in this role because it's not not a common one. He's, he's not necessarily expected to win, although two straight losses to end the season, Buc- Buckeye fans aren't going to be happy w- with that if that ends up happening. But I think th- there's there's more of a sense of kind of playing with house money now because they've gotten this this new opportunity that they didn't know they would have. And I think Ryan Day doesn't want to end this one with the same feeling of regret that that I think the whole team had after that Michigan game. Yeah, it's kind of a glass half full, glass half empty way of looking at it here, right? Like on one hand, maybe this allows Ohio State to play looser with more confidence. On the other hand, like does does it affect Ohio State's confidence that they did have a game like that? And I think I think where I would look at that and say, I, I think Ohio State's going to go into this game with a lot of confidence. I think it's if things start to go Georgia's way. Do is that when doubt maybe creeps into this team's mind more than maybe we would have seen in the past because of what happened against Michigan? I mean, we saw the way things snowballed in that fourth quarter against Michigan. Could this team maybe be at greater risk of that happening because it might have in the back of its mind what happened against Michigan? I think that's certainly possible. I think that's one of those things that is impossible to gauge until the game actually happens and we actually see how it plays out. I mean, I think I think we're going to hear Ohio State say all the right things here over the next four weeks, but it's like I said in the piece I wrote after the Michigan game, in football, results speak louder than words. So we're going to hear all the right things, but we're just not going to know un- until that game happens on December 31st. And like, I... I go into this game going, I, I I could see this being a 2014 Alabama game. Like I I could see Ohio State coming out really playing its best football of the year and upsetting Georgia. I could also see this being a 2016 Clemson game where Georgia's clearly better than Ohio State and it's a blowout. Like I think both of those outcomes are possible in this game, and I I, I don't think I'm going to get to a point here before the game where I'm particularly confident which way it's going to go. I think we're just going to kind of have to see how, how the game goes. But I, I do think there's a wide range of, of outcomes here. And I think it is going to be important for Ohio state. And we've heard Ryan day again, we've heard Ryan day talk about it. We haven't actually really seen it happen much. I think it's going to be important for Ohio state to start fast in this game, to, to, to build some, to build some confidence early in this game and, and, and really try to get things going in their favor. Because I do think there is that risk of Georgia can come out and make a couple quick stops, score a couple quick touchdowns, and take early control of a game. I, I do think there is that risk that things could snowball in a bad way for Ohio State like we saw against Michigan. Yeah, Dan, I, I think I would have been more concerned about Ohio State's uh, confidence because you can't deny how much of an emotional loss that was and just the feeling around the program after a loss like that. I mean, that that was a Ryan Day said when we were talking to him the other day that it was an awful week. Like you could imagine how how terrible a week that was, even with him trying to avoid the the flash and criticism on social media and on, on the Internet as much as possible. It was still that bad of a week for him. And I'm sure many of the Buckeye players and, and things like that, if, if a house state lost that last game of the regular season and still was playing in the conference championship game or something like that, I would have been very concerned about the the, the confidence on both sides of the ball, I guess, depending on the opponent or, or perhaps not. But the fact that Ohio State has still almost an entire month to prepare for this game, the fact that they can get healthy, lick their wounds, and just the and in Kirby Smart has talked about this as well in his couple of interviews since the CFP field was announced that Ohio State is going to ha- has this new lease on life and this, and this new excitement because they weren't expecting this spot necessarily after they lost to Michigan. It's it's like an, an, a new, like Ryan Day said, a, a second lease on life and things like that to where it's an opportunity where you're, you're playing with house money a little bit. And so, you know, anything goes and you, you can play a little bit looser. Now, you talk about getting healthy. I, I feel like we should talk about the biggest news that we've heard in, in the last couple of days, which came on Monday, 
when Jackson Smith and Jigba officially announced that he will not play in the college football playoff as he continues to rehabilitate the hamstring injury that he had. He he is going to focus on preparing for the 2023 NFL draft. And I, I don't think it's shocking that we got into this point. It certainly felt like things were, were moving in this direction over the last few weeks. And so not shocking that we're not going to see Jackson Smith and Jigba play another game as a Buckeye. It's disappointing because you think about how high the expectations were for Jackson Smith and Jigba coming into this season after the record-setting year that he had last year. And everybody was talking about the Litnikoff Award and, and All-American and, and best receiver in the country. And we just never got to see that this year. And so I think just from a individual player standpoint and a college football fan standpoint, I think it's disappointing that we didn't get to see Jackson Smith and Jigba be Jackson Smith and Jigba this year. Yeah, Dan, like that Rose Bowl performance, well, well, he'd obviously had already a tremendous season going into that game. I mean, that monster game really put him, launched him into the stratosphere as far as his his name and just as a A-list star in college football and a person that the casual fan knows and things like that heading into the season. And unfortunately, that ended up almost being his his swan song for Ohio State because we never saw him at 100% for an entire game this season. So that's going to kind of be the the lasting memory, if you're an Ohio State fan, of Jackson Smith and Jigba when we all kind of thought that that was just him just getting started on the, on what should have been this huge season. And I think it does play a role. I I I really think it plays a role in how I kind of think about this Ohio State Georgia matchup because I had been thinking, you know, what if we see an Ohio State offense that suddenly has a a, a healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba, a healthy Travion Henderson, a healthy Mayan Williams, all at their disposal? Like that that's a that's a team we haven't actually seen this season because they've all been injured so often here, especially Jackson Smith and Jigba. And uh, you, you talk about the pass game as well. This is a Georgia team that has been very good against the pass for most of the season, but did just give up five uh, an SEC championship game record, 502 yards in the air to LSU with, with most of that coming to a backup quarterback as well. So you think, man, with Marvin Harrison Jr. this season, he's had a healthy JSN. That, that could have been a sign of, of, of some positive things for Ohio State in that game. I still think Ohio State can potentially do some damage in the air without JSN, which we've seen them do this season. However, I do think it is a it is a it is a piece that Ohio State wishes you know it could have had on the table in this matchup. Yeah, because I think kind of a initial hours after the it was announced that Ohio State made the playoffs, I think there was kind of that excitement from Ohio State fans of hey, we we still haven't seen this offense what it can fully be this year. If if JSN can get healthy and and Travion can get healthy and Mayan can get healthy, there may be a level to this Ohio State offense that we just haven't seen yet this year. And we now know that they're they're not going to quite get there. Certainly, the hope is that both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams will be fully healthy. Maybe Matt Jones will be fully healthy. And if, if all those guys are fully healthy, then that could help the Ohio State offense bounce back from what was obviously a disappointing performance against Michigan. But I, I, I do think that there needs to be a concerted effort for Ohio State to find a little something extra in their passing game that they haven't had without JSN. And I think Marvin's been great. Emeka's been great. Julian's had his moments, but I, I still don't think this passing offense has ever quite looked like the one we saw last year with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I just don't think that this offense is, has quite gotten to that level this year. And I think a lot of that has had to do with the fact that Jackson Smith and Jigba has been sidelined. I think that's just kind of that. I mean, I, I mean, Ryan Day talked about it literally the first week of the season that so much of their playbook this year was built around Jackson Smith and Jigba and they had to adjust. So the good news, as you just mentioned a few minutes ago, is Ohio State now has five weeks to prepare for this game. So they they have time over the next few weeks to work on implementing new things into their offense that maybe they couldn't do during the season. And so you would think there's going to be some new wrinkles here in the offense for this game that maybe they couldn't put into play during the season. But I do think there needs to be a concerted effort for that to try to find something, something else that can give this offense an extra dimension. Maybe that's 
utilizing Xavier Johnson more. Maybe it's utilizing one of these other receivers who we really haven't seen play much this year, but we know there's other talented guys in that room. Maybe one of those guys can can step up a little more here late in the season. I don't necessarily know exactly who it would be. I mean, it's, you can't just replace JSN with anybody. I mean, he's a special player. It's not, it's not as simple of there's somebody sitting on the bench who can do the things JSN can do. But I, I do think that this gives them an opportunity to, to maybe build some new things into their offense that they just didn't feel comfortable doing during the grind of the season. And you can tell, Dan, that, that Brian Day knows full well that the Ohio State offense cannot come out and have a half in which it scores three points like we saw in the second half against Michigan. He was was fully acknowledging and even he was asked about the, the defense allowing points and, and things like that. And, and he he kind of retorted in that press conference the other day by saying the the teams that, that win these games in the CFP oftentimes have to score or end up putting up 49, 50 points. And he said that the Ohio State offense has to that's the the, the mark they're shooting for in, in this game is a, t- a team like Georgia. The problem is, I think Georgia has the number one or number two scoring defense in the country. Dan, they have the best run defense in the country as well. We we just kind of mentioned that LSU did did poke some holes in that pass defense with that 502 yard performance. But overall, Georgia has been 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 pretty good in, in, in that metric. But especially up against the run, Dan, where we've seen Ohio State have all these injury issues, especially in the back half of the season with with Henderson and Williams. Georgia's only allowed a thousand yards all season on the ground in 13 games. However, I do think that having some of those guys back healthy, if we see a Travion Henderson and a Mayan Williams both healthy, that it could make a difference. And you mentioned Matt Jones as well in the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I I I know the Georgia defense didn't have a good day against the pass against LSU, but I'm I'm still not you know, ready to say, oh, but the pass defense is a big weakness for Georgia. I mean, it it it's probably their most vulnerable area. But I mean, we talked about it all year of Ohio State because Ohio State really didn't play any good quarterbacks during regular season. I mean, you look at Georgia. I mean, they held Hunden Hooker to 195 yards and and no touchdowns. I mean, they held Spencer Rattler to 214 yards and a touchdown with three interceptions. They held Bo Nix to 173 yards with no touchdowns, two interceptions. So. I mean, Georgia has faced better quarterbacks over the course of a year. And and this game against LSU was really the first time they had, you know, just straight up bad day on on pass defense. And most of that came in the second half in a game Georgia already had a massive lead in against a backup quarterback who they probably didn't spend much time preparing for. So I, I, I certainly think because of what you said about the run defense that Ohio State's passing offense is going to have to be on point if Ohio State's going to have a chance to win this game. If Ohio State's going to have a chance to put up those kind of numbers that Ryan Day talked about, which I I think it's good that Ryan Day has that mindset because clearly the the, the offense is going to need to be more aggressive if Ohio State's going to have a chance to win the college football playoff. And so I think it's good that Ryan Day has that mindset of we've got to score a lot of points if we're going to win in the college football playoff, because I think the Ohio State's only chance of winning the college football playoff is going to be for that Ohio State offense to reemerge as an elite unit. I think that's Ohio State's only chance. And so I think it's a good mindset to have. I, I, I would tell you that when we do our score predictions, I'm pretty confident I'm not going to predict that Ohio State's going to score 49 plus points because Georgia's defense is really good and they haven't come close to allowing that this year. So I I, I don't know that I, I can predict that that's going to happen for Ohio State, but I, I think that's a good mentality to have that you're going to need to score a, a lot of points in this game because Georgia's offense is really good too. I mean, Georgia's defense always gets the attention and deservedly so, but when you look at Georgia's offense, Georgia's seventh in yards per game, eleventh in points per game. You know they 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 have a Heisman finalist at quarterback in Stetson Bennett, which I I don't know if Stetson Bennett necessarily should be a Heisman finalist. I think he's mostly there because he's the quarterback of a number one team in the country. But got to give Stetson Bennett credit. I mean he he's a guy that a lot of people wanted to write off as a, as a guy who's just not that talented, and he he's had a great year. He he's done a great job of making the plays 
Georgia needs him to make to win every game it's played this season. And so he's a good quarterback. Brock Bowers is probably the best tight end in the country. He's a beast. They have another really good tight end as well in Darnell Washington. So covering the tight end is going to be a big challenge for Ohio State in this game. They've got three good running backs, Kenny McIntosh, Dejan Edwards, and Kendall Milton, who Ohio State fans might remember as somebody Ohio State recruited pretty heavily. Receiver, probably their weakest unit on offense, not in you know elite receiving core, I would say. Lad McConkey has been uh, their most productive receiver, but not not really a superstar unit there at, at wideout. But overall, this is a Georgia offense that has plenty of weapons, and they're going to be very physical. I mean, they're going to be what Georgia is expected to be. They're going to run the ball a lot, and they're going to try to to wear you down up front. And much like we've talked about in other big games, Ohio State's ability to win the battle in the trenches is going to be absolutely crucial in this game. Dan, it's really interesting when you look at Georgia's stats because there's there's not like some some player with just absurd numbers that jump out of you. Really, on either side of the ball, you, you talk about they don't have a, a thousand yard rusher. They don't even have a, a running back with more than seven hundred something yards. They don't have a, even an eight hundred yard receiver on the roster. On defense, I don't think anyone has more than three sacks. Like everything's very well spread out. There's a lot of guys that contribute to this team. I, I think that was similar last season as well. You talk about Stetson Bennett, I think only having 20 touchdown passes, but it's just a, a team that's that's good everywhere that that has c- came into the season. It has the longest uh, win streak in the FBS, 15 straight games now. And uh, Dan, it's going to be a hard team to beat if you're Ohio State, but certainly not counting out the possibility. And Dan, there's still plenty of time to break down this game and, and get into our actual score predictions and think things through, through a little more soundly. But, you know, d- what, what do you make of Ohio State's chances in this game? I don't know if you would put a, a percentage on it or and then how do you feel about the, the the opening line as well, Dan? Yeah, I, th- I think the opening line is is probably right where it should be for for Georgia to be a seven point favorite. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I mean, I think Georgia certainly should be favored based on of the way it's played this year. I, I do think that Georgia has been the better and more complete team, but I, I also think it's a good number because I, I don't think it should be an exorbitant number either. I mean, I think I think Ohio State is capable of winning this game. I mean, I think, I would say this, I think Ohio State is more likely to beat Georgia than I think TCU is to beat Michigan, just just because I think Ohio State is the more, more talented and, and better overall football team, at least when it's operating at its best. And so uh, I, I certainly give Ohio State a chance. I, I I definitely not close to being ready to predict a score or, or put a percentage on it or anything like that. But I, I certainly give Ohio State a chance. I mean, Ohio State is too talented to not give them a chance. They're always going to have a chance. But I think we certainly both agree that Ohio State is going to have to play at a higher level than we, I mean, certainly in Michigan, I think, I think really than what we've seen all year, especially the second half of the year, because I, I just think that I, I think we kind of went into that Michigan game with this feeling of Ohio state's been holding something back and we're going to see them take it to a different level. And we're going to really see how good this team could be against Michigan. And that didn't happen. And so now to assume like that's going to happen, I, I'm, I'm not there because we didn't see it against Michigan in a game that everybody knew all year was going to be the most important game of the year. And so something has to be different here. Whatever they do in these next, these five weeks between games, they've got to find something different. They've, they've got to find a different level to me that really, I'm not sure we've, we've really seen all year. I mean, maybe the Wisconsin game would be, I would say probably the most complete performance we've seen from Ohio state this year, but I, I think there has to be a new level for this team if they're going to have a chance to win this game. But I still think Ohio State is capable of getting to that level. I, I don't. I, I I don't know that we've seen it tangibly on paper to wherever you can necessarily point to one game and say if they play like that they can beat Georgia. But I, I think over the course of the year we've seen the pieces. We've seen maybe not always in the same game, but across different games that when this offense is at its best, it's certainly one of the best in the country. When this defense is at its best, it 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 can be really good. I'm not going to say best in the country, but it when this defense has been at its best, it's been really good. And so if 
Ohio State can marry those things together on the biggest stage, then I certainly think Ohio State has a chance. Please now to welcome in Gary Stoken, the CEO of the Peach Bowl, which will be hosting Ohio State for the first time. And Gary, that's really wanna, where I wanted to start out with you. Obviously, this game has such a rich history, but this is the first time that you guys will ever be hosting the Buckeyes in this game. So how much excitement is there for you and everyone involved with this game to finally get to have Ohio State play in this game? Well, it's great to have Ohio State, number one, with all their great fan bases and being able to work with Gene Smith, who I admire and like. He's a first-class guy and and Ryan Day as well. But, you know, it's even more exciting and, and an honor to host them during a uh, semifinal of the CFP National Championships. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to it and have number one Georgia playing against them. This is the third time we've hosted the semifinal, and each year we've had number one playing in our game. So uh, number one against number four is going to be a great matchup. New Year's Eve will have a lot of fireworks with the number two scoring offense against the number two scoring defense in the country. And, and Gary, obviously, uh, you guys hosted Kirby Smart and Company just a, a couple of seasons ago there at the Peach Bowl. I'm sure you, you pay attention to the to the Bulldog program. But I, I, I wonder how close uh, attention do you have, have you paid to Ohio State? And what are your thoughts, I guess, specifically on this year's team and how, how much have you watched them in general? Yeah, we we typically kick off the season with our Chick-fil-A kickoff games. This year we had Georgia against Oregon and Clemson against Georgia Tech. So uh we saw Georgia up front early in the first game. And then my first game, I typically go on the road all of September and October every weekend to see teams that I think could possibly be in our in our game. And my first trip was Ohio State, Wisconsin in September. So I knew pretty early that Ohio State was going to be in the mix. And matter of fact, talked to Gene Smith and he said, yeah, we've been in this thing nine years and and I can't remember how many times Ohio State's played in it in the in the CFP era, but We've never had a chance to host them. And he says, well, hopefully we get a chance to get down there this year. So he prognosticated coming down and playing in the semifinal. And here we go. What was the weekend like for you all as you kind of waited to see how the, the conference championship games would unfold and who would end up in the game? Well, about two weeks ago, I, I told the media in Atlanta that I thought this may be the most difficult CFP selection year they've ever had in nine years and having been down to Gaylord and sat through the mock selection and the process they go through which is excellent I really thought it would be difficult with the the Clemson winning the ACC with one loss and Ohio State or Michigan whoever won that game and the other team only having one loss as, as well as Georgia TCU and and uh, Michigan, obviously, and Ohio State. So I knew there'd be six or seven teams in the mix, and they'd have a tough decision. But as it all worked out, I think uh, the three three teams were lock up top. And uh, I was in Vegas for the – I'm in Vegas now for the National Football Foundation, but I was in Vegas Friday for the C game because if they won, I thought that being a conference champ, which is one of the main criteria – that the selection committee uses if you're if you're a champion of your conference and so I thought if USC won that they would probably be in and when they lost I knew it opened the door for and and I figured Ohio State would be the fourth one ahead of Alabama because of they're only lost to the number two team in the country and I've I've said all along I thought Ohio State had possibly the best offense in the country and them in Michigan had the best offensive lines in the country I think this game will really allow Ohio State, number one, to get back on the field after a tough loss against the arch rival, right? Number two, to to think about having the opportunity to play for a national championship. Number three is to get healthy, particularly wide receiver and, and running back. And then number four, that if they can win this game, not to get too far ahead and look ahead, but because they're playing the number one team in the country, but, you know, they could possibly revenge a loss. So Ohio State has maybe more to play for than anybody else in the country right now. I know TCU doesn't, that loss with them doesn't sit well at the end of the year as close as they came in overtime. But, you know, pretty much all that goes away when you get on that field in the semifinal game. It's basically a new season. And so everybody's 0-0. Zero, zero. You, you throw the football out there, kick it off, play the game, and you got a chance to play for a national championship if you win. 
Gary, in your position on a weekend like this past weekend with, with everything so much up in the air still, as far as the, the matchups and everything like that, do you find yourself with any vested interest in, in seeing a, part- a particular matchup play out or, or do you just kind of let the chips fall where they may in terms of that type of thing? As, as far as when you're watching these games. Yeah, it's interesting, Griffin. When you're in a semifinal format, like we are this year in, in hosting, you're going to come up with four great teams and you're going to get two of them. So it really doesn't bother you one way or the other. We're, we're we're blessed to have the semifinal. I think it's been rated that we have the best game of all the bowl season. We will have game day in Atlanta. We are the eight o'clock primetime game. So all that's fun and 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 we we enjoy hosting people. So we've added a couple more thousand standing room only seats. So we'll probably be in a position where we could break the, our own record, which is the record for Mercedes-Benz Stadium of 78,000 people. So it's going to be it's going to be wild down there in, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We'll close the roof. So it'll make it even more loud down there on New Year's Eve. For Ohio State fans who have never been to the Peach Bowl or maybe never even been to Atlanta, what would you tell them about the Peach Bowl experience? Well, the great thing is Ohio State staying in the Omni Hotel. The Omni Hotel is right next to the College Football Hall of Fame, which is a must-see. It's about 100 yards away from the world's largest aquarium, which is another must-see in Atlanta. The Civil and Human Rights Center is is right next to that, as is the World of Coke. And then Centennial Olympic Park owns all of those. So those are things that, that they should do. Obviously, we'll have our fan fest before the game. We'll have our parade before the game. And then we'll have our team walks leading into Mercedes-Benz Stadium about two hours before the game. So a lot to do on game day, obviously. And it's it Atlanta that time of year is great shopping, great bars and restaurants. Yeah, they'll have a great time down there. It's, it's a great city. People really enjoy hosting people. There's a lot of Southern hospitality there, particularly around the bowl season. And we're the fourth largest convention town in the United States behind Orlando, Las Vegas, and Chicago. And four of the top six conventions in Atlanta on an annual basis are our two Chick-fil-A kickoff games, the SEC Championship, and Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. So people in the industry, the tourism industry, know that college football is awfully important, particularly coming out of COVID and what we've been through. So they, they play great host to all the fans. So We've got a huge contingent of Ohio State fans living in Metro Atlanta as well as the Southeast. So, and I know a lot of them drive past Atlanta or through Atlanta on 75 going down to Florida when they go down there. So, yeah, we, we, even though we've got Georgia, we think there's just going to be as many Ohio State fans as there are Georgia fans in that stadium and around the stadium as well. You just mentioned a bunch of things, but what's the one thing you tell people come to Atlanta? What's the one thing you got to do? Well, I'm I'm obviously biased. I I was uh, it was my idea to bring the College Football Hall of Fame to Atlanta, and I was the original CEO in putting the exhibit exhibits, the getting the space, doing the architecture. So I'm I'm je- I'm biased that I think people ought to go to the College Football Hall of Fame, and particularly since it's a college football game, they'll they'll really enjoy it. It's entertaining. It's it's a museum. It's interactive. So yeah, that's the one thing I would say they got to do. The, Interesting. We we use a theme of live, laugh, and learn for the players. Everything we do around this bowl game is a reward for the players because there's the they're the ones that are working out in January and then the the spring and then summer camp and then playing the whole season to get here. And so one of the unique things we do, which you're not supposed to do as a bowl, is to put both teams together. And we put both teams together in Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. King actually spoke from the pulpit. And we'll have Andy Young, who was part of Martin Luther King's original eight leaders, as well as Bill Curry, who played for Vince Lombardi and Don Shula, and just came out with a book, Ten Men in the Huddle. And both of them will speak from the pulpit to both teams on Thursday night, which will be a really educational living history lesson and opportunity for these guys. Gary, we've, we've learned over the past week that the 12-team CFP expansion is going to happen starting in 2024. I believe you guys are going to be hosting the, the national championship game in, in 25, if, if I'm correct there. Just uh, your thoughts on the expansion and how that will impact the Peach Bowl and your role and, and things like that. Well, again, I think it, excuse me, it will highlight Atlanta again as the capital of college football because starting in 24, we'll kick off with Georgia versus Clemson in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game, which will be 
two top five teams that and then we have the quarterfinal at the end of the year. So we either have one, two, three, or four playing against somebody in our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And then in January, we'll host the national championship game. So quite a year. You throw in a, an SEC, probably two top 10 teams will have great games coming to Atlanta that year. And then in 25, we'll host the college football playoff semifinal again. So over 24 and 25, the first two years of the playoff, Atlanta is definitely going to be the headquarters for college football and the capital college football. You mentioned the opportunity to players are going to have at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. What are some of the other things players are going to get to do as a part of their bowl trip? Yeah, when we say live, we want them to live great. They're going to stay in the Omni and the Marriott Marquis, which are first-class hotels. They're going to eat great food like Chick-fil-A. They're going to laugh. We we create a battle for Bowie where we have a 40-pound WWE belt that every night there's a competition from Andretti kart racing to a family feud to basketball shooting. So every night they get a chance to win the belt against the other team and then they have to hand the belt back in and then we have a competition the next night so that that really gets competitive and fun and then learn we take them to children's health care where kids in that hospital didn't get out for christmas and may never get out of the hospital so for the coaches and the players to be able to share a little bit of christmas joy to those families and those kids in there is is awfully important and then the the visit to ebenezer baptist church is really a, a a history lesson. So that's a good way for them to learn. So yeah, it's it's a fun week. It's a quick week. Having the semifinal, we can't do anything two days before. So we got to let them focus on meetings and practice and and uh, video. So because they're getting ready to play for a national to go to the national championship game. So it'll be a quick week. Well, Gary, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Is there anything else we didn't ask you about that you want people to know? No, that was a good interview. And again, we we look forward to hosting over the holiday season all the Buckeye fans in, in Atlanta. They'll have a great time. And Dan, we talked about JSN. We, we have some other moving parts, though. I mean, in terms of coaching and the player personnel for this this game as well. Some pertinent news for Ohio State the, the, just on what day is it, Dan? The, the, the days are really running together at this point, Dan, especially after coming off of the weekend we've just had. But Kevin Wilson, a longtime Ohio State co-offensive coordinator, tight ends coach, he is going to become the new head coach at Tulsa, Dan. I think for a while now, we've kind of been thinking uh, the past several off seasons, could we see a move from Kevin Wilson? Because the Ohio State offense has been so successful with him helping kind of run the run the show, Dan. I think it's been reported that Kevin Wilson's expected to finish out this this CFP run for with Ohio State, Dan. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I asked for confirmation on that last night and, and was told it was not certain yet. So I, I would be surprised if Kevin Wilson doesn't finish out. And also we're recording before Kevin Wilson's introductory press conference Tuesday afternoon. So there may be an answer on that one way or the other by the time you're actually listening to this. But as of the time of this podcast, I hadn't gotten confirmation on that, that Kevin Wilson will coach through the playoff, but I'd be surprised if he didn't, because typically that's been the case that when a a coach on a college football playoff team accepts a head coaching job elsewhere, typically they finish things out with their current team before going fully into their new job. Yeah. And you'll remember in the, in the preseason, I thought it was, it was interesting because Kevin Wilson, like really made it seem like he he felt like this was a year that he could finally get the job done and, and win a national championship, which has eluded him. And so it would see hearing some of those strong comments he made in the preseason, which I think stood out to a lot of people. It would surprise me to see him kind of not be a part of that, that, that last chance with Ohio state here if, when, when he's going to move on come very soon here. But Dan, I mean, th- that begs the question. So of course, Kevin Wilson, not a play caller for Ohio State, Ryan Day handling those duties. So it's not like Ohio State moving forward is going to have to re- replace its play caller. But at the same time, Kevin Wilson is a guy that, that's that been Ryan Day's right-hand man, a guy that Ryan Day's called one of the, the best minds in college football, definitely instrumental in helping assemble these record-setting Ohio State offenses in recent years. What happens now, Dan, in his position, does Ohio State promote from within because they have people on staff? Look at Justin Fry, who have been offensive coordinators elsewhere on Power 5 teams. You have a guy like Brian Hartline, who seems to get a new title every offseason with the job he's done at Ohio State in Columbus. Or will Ohio State bring someone in from outside the program, which I think some fans would like to see, given some of the 
the criticism they've seen in terms of the play calling from Ryan Day uh, in recent weeks? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, right? Because I mean, I, I think probably the obvious move is to promote Brian Hartline because of the fact that, I mean, this is a guy who just interviewed for the head coaching job at Cincinnati last week. And so we know demand for Brian Hartline is very high. He's going to continue to get opportunities thrown his way. And so Ohio state's best chance of keeping him around is going to be to continue to elevate him as much as it can. And so I, I think certainly it would make sense for Ohio state to promote Brian Hartline for that reason. I think the question, though, goes back to what we talked about last week, and that being, is Ryan Day going to continue calling plays after this season? He wasn't directly asked about it during his last press conference. I'm sure it will come up in his next press conference with with, with this move happening, Kevin Wilson leaving. But I think that's the first question that he's got to ask, because I think if Ryan Day decides it's time for him to be more of a CEO and stop calling plays, then, in my opinion, the, the move would probably be either to promote Justin Fry to offensive coordinator because he's been an offensive coordinator before or potentially bring someone else in from outside the program who has maybe maybe brings in a different voice, maybe brings in something a little bit different who, to also call plays. And so I, I think the calculus changes depending on whether or not Ryan Day can plans to continue being that primary play caller. I think if he if he is, then you're probably not going to get somebody who's an offensive coordinator elsewhere necessarily want to come be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State if, if they're not going to be calling plays. I mean, granted, money can make up for that, but I, I think certainly that job would be more appealing if it's a job that comes with primary play calling responsibilities. And if it doesn't, then I think it is probably most likely that Brian Hartline gets that promotion, at least into a co-offensive coordinator role. But I, I think the one thing is, the first and foremost thing you have to think about here is what's best for the Ohio State offense next year? What gives us the best chance to be at our best? I think certainly Brian Hartline, based on everything we've seen from him as a coach, has incredible potential and is certainly capable of being a great offensive coordinator and potentially a great head coach in the future. But given that he's never been that play caller before, I don't know that it should just be the default to give him that role solely because you want to keep him around because of his recruiting and ability to coach wide receivers. I think most likely an elevated title is going to be in his future once again. But I do think the primary consideration here needs to be what's best for the Ohio State offense next year. And Dan, beyond the offensive coordinator side of things, there is also the tight end coach aspect of things because Kevin Wilson handled those duties for the Buckeyes as well. It certainly seems like, especially online and just when you you kind of look at things and there seems to be a lot of momentum behind the prospect of Keenan Bailey, longtime assistant there for Ohio State, potentially being promoted into that role. He's worked with the tight ends a lot this year. He's worked with a lot of different positions in general. And he's just a guy when you see him kind of coaching and interacting with the players, whether it be at camps, practices, this, that, and the third, he sees he's very involved in, and it seems like he's a guy that's put himself in position to get a, a big promotion like that sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, he's been at Ohio state since 2016. I mean, he's a guy that has absolutely had opportunities to go elsewhere and he's decided to stick around at Ohio state. And so I, I think certainly that's something that Ryan day and Ohio state would like to do is, is give him that opportunity to be a member of a full-time coaching staff. Cause I know he's somebody who's very highly valued in that room. I, I remember talking to Kate Stover, of course, a tight end earlier this year. And he talked about how Keenan Bailey really helped him become a better pass catcher. And he said, Keenan's one of the smartest minds we have here in the Woody Hayes athletic center. I know that both Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes have talked about Keenan Bailey too, as somebody who has been very influential in their recruitments and their decision to become Buckeyes. And so I think both from a recruiting perspective and an on-field coaching perspective, Keenan Bailey is someone who would be a great addition to the staff. And so if, if I had to predict right now how this is going to play out, my prediction would be that Brian Hartline gets promoted to offensive coordinator and that Keenan Bailey 
gets promoted to tight end coach. But I I, I still think that that's a conversation that, that Ryan Day needs to have. He needs to think about, okay, is it the right move for me to just promote from within and, and keep continuity? Or should maybe I be looking to to bring someone else in who, who can bring a, a different voice to the table? I, I think both sides of that question are are valid arguments, but I, I do think both Brian Hartline and Keenan Bailey are guys who are certainly deserving of promotions if those promotions come their way. Dan, it is already transfer portal season in college football. It seems like every year more and more players are hitting the portal and, and perhaps sooner and sooner all the time as well, it seems like. But Ohio State already with a couple of outgoing guys in the portal, Taraja Mitchell, no surprise there. Really saw his role almost completely erased as far as linebacker goes. Played on special teams and things like that. Was was injured this year as well. Jalen Johnson as well, Dan, in the transfer portal for Ohio State. I'm I'm sure those are not the final players that will enter the portal as far as Buckeyes are concerned. And Ryan Day's always talked about his philosophy on the transfer portal as, as far as bringing guys in, which is to say they've done it in the past, of course, and there's been guys that really worked out, some guys maybe less so, but he's cautious to do it because of how it impacts the culture and how it looks to bring a guy in and plug him in as a starter when you've got guys that are high school recruits that have been developing in the system for years. But I, I certainly think that there is opportunity this season, Dan, with, with some of the guys that Ohio State stands to lose, that certainly at some positions, a transfer addition might be warranted, Dan. And, and a few names we'll throw at you here in terms of some guys that Ohio State could be looking at. One of them coming from the Big Ten and uh, Desan McCullough from Indiana, of course, a former Ohio State commit, had a really good year for Indiana as a true freshman, Dan. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Ohio State will be looking at him. Um, Fentrell Cypress as well, second team All-ACC uh, cornerback out of Virginia. Of course, with the issues we saw at cornerback in the past defense this year, you would think Ohio State could be looking for someone to to bolster that secondary going into next year as well. Dan, who else are, are some of those names that you've been seeing out there that you think could be candidates for high state yeah i think those are probably the two biggest ones that jump out so far and again i mean most likely in the hours between us recording this and the podcast being published there's going to be even more activity in the transfer portal because it's been hopping since the transfer portal window officially opened at midnight on monday and so things can change very quickly here but those are the two names that have been most closely connected to Ohio State so far. A couple others, but I I don't know that they're, I, I don't have any confirmation that Ohio State's been in contact with them or anything, but just a couple other names that caught my eye. Justin Jacobs, former Iowa linebacker. He He's from Clayton Northmont. He is an Ohio guy who actually had an Ohio State offer coming out of high school, and he was injured for most of this year, but had played really well for Iowa last year. He's kind of a Steel Chambers-type linebacker, so he's a guy that I would wonder if Steel Chambers was to go to the NFL, maybe in that case would Justin Jacobs be a guy that they'd have interest in? I certainly think he's a guy that could potentially help them next year. And then another guy who caught my eye, too, we talked about cornerback, Tony Grimes, cornerback from UNC. He was a five-star recruit who was recruited pretty heavily by Ohio State, ended up reclassifying and going to North Carolina, but now he's in the transfer portal. I think he's another guy at that cornerback position. If they're looking for somebody who can come in and make an immediate impact, he would be another option there. Dan, we were asked here by U.S. Army Buckeye, would you expect to see more outbound transfers after the last game, after the last game has been played? And are there any you're already aware of but can't report on? I guess. Dan, and also I'll throw there any anybody you suspect or have any type of feeling like this guy would be on my list of potential transfers out. Yeah, I don't really want to get into the, the transfer speculation game. It's just not really something that I I, I really like to do. But to, to answer the, the question that was asked, no, there there aren't any that I'm already aware of that can't report on. I mean, certainly there are guys who I think could enter the transfer portal, but no, nobody other than at, at the time we're recording this, the only two that we know of so far are Jalen Johnson and Taraja Mitchell. There's, there's nobody else that I've received any solid info on that this guy is for sure going to enter the transfer portal and leave Ohio state. But to answer the first question, 
Yes, I would absolutely expect to see more outbound transfers after the last game has been played. I think certainly there there, there will be players who plan to transfer, but will wait to do so until after Ohio State's college football playoff run is over. So I certainly don't think Ohio State's going to have just two outgoing transfers. I certainly think there's going to be more to come, but I think the reason you'll see less of it now for Ohio State than you might from some other teams is because I think there's certainly going to be guys who say, I want to finish this thing out. I want to go try to win a national championship. And then whenever Ohio State's college football playoff run is over, they might enter their name into the portal and, and look for another opportunity. Dan, podcast listener Orca wants some more positivity amid all the chaos and wants us to say something positive about each of Ohio State's players to enter the transfer portal this year. Of course, we only have two of those at the moment. As far as Jalen Johnson goes, we just didn't get to see all that much of him, to be honest. Taraja Mitchell, of course, has been around for a while. In terms of something positive I could say about him, I would certainly say the way he kind of handled this season with a lot of class, I think, and didn't try to jump jump ship early when he saw the way things might have been trending last season. He still stuck things out with the Buckeyes. And I, I, I could definitely appreciate a guy like that, that that was a starter at one point for the Buckeyes, really had saw his, his role completely diminished. And we, we didn't see him necessarily tweeting a bunch of stuff or handling it in the wrong way. You know, kind of quietly handles his business now, transfers elsewhere to finish out his career. Yeah, I mean, Taraja Mitchell was a captain at Ohio State last year, which tells you what his teammates think of him. And I think certainly he he did do a really good job of, of handling things the right way. And I think for him, it's just ultimately a matter of if he's going to have a chance to go play somewhere and have any chance of playing in the NFL, he, he's got to go somewhere else for a year and try to get some more tape because most likely, even if he came back to Ohio State for another year, he probably wasn't going to play a lot. So I think that certainly he's done a good job handling that, you know, and I, and I think just the fact that he's staying with the team, continuing to practice with the team. I mean, I think it's very unlikely he plays in the Peach Bowl because if he did, that would be his fifth game appearance of the year. And that would burn the red shirt, but he's preserved this year to allow him to play next year. But all indications are that he will continue to practice with the team and help the team prepare. And I think just the fact that he, is doing that says a lot about him and and the commitment that he's given to the team over the past five years. And then regarding Jalen Johnson, I remember talking to him before he got to Ohio State, and he's certainly a guy who had a lot of confidence in himself coming in, and it it just didn't work out, which is just uh, the the way it goes sometimes. That a guy, unfortunately, in his case, tore his ACL in year one, got buried on the depth chart, and it was just going to be hard for him to get that path to clear playing time. And so I, I yeah, certainly somebody I'm not surprised to see him make this decision just because I think you see Sonny Styles, Kai Stokes, both getting playing time this year when he didn't, it, it was going to be a tough road for him to earn a significant role on Ohio State's defense in the near future. And so I think for his individual career, he's probably making the right decision to, to transfer and go somewhere else where he'll have a chance to earn more playing time. Dan, CJ Stroud is a Heisman Trophy finalist for the second straight season. I don't think, uh, unless unless you are, I don't know, Dan, I, I don't expect CJ Stroud to walk away with that award, certainly after finishing the regular season with that loss to Michigan. The the race, Dan, has, has been pretty, pretty murky, pretty muddy here at the end of the season because after CJ Stroud kind of lost out on his, I guess, opportunity to seal the deal in terms of winning that award. Caleb Williams was the guy. Then he ends up, USC ends up losing out on their chance to go to the playoff with a, a poor second half against Utah. It still looks like Caleb Williams is is probably going to end up with the Heisman Trophy, but it seemed like a lot of guys, Dan, that had a, a one last chance to kind of give a, a really good impression to the voters didn't really end up giving that impression how they would probably want to. Yeah, it's it's a weird year for the Heisman, I think, because I think C.J. Stroud finished fourth in the Heisman voting last year. I think C.J. Stroud had a better year last year, at least statistically, than he has this year. And yet, I, I think there's a good chance C.J. Stroud finishes higher in the Heisman voting this year, just because I, I just don't think 
the the pool of candidates for the Heisman this year is 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 strong. I mean, I think none of these guys would be likely to win the Heisman in the vast majority of years. I mean, I think and I think I think of like Dwayne Haskins in 2018, Justin Fields in 2019. I think if they had those years this year, I think they'd win the Heisman because I, I think the, the the pool of candidates just isn't as strong this year. But I, I do expect Caleb Williams to win. I, if I had a Heisman vote, which I don't, Caleb Williams would have been first on my ballot because I, I do think that he has had the best year. I, I also think you look at this pool of candidates and it really adds to the whole perception of the Heisman has become a quarterback award because, I mean, again, it's no disrespect to Stetson Bennett at all, but I I, I, I really don't think most people look at Stetson Bennett and think he's one of the four, four best players in college football. I, I, I don't think most people look at Georgia and think Stetson Bennett is even the best player on their team. And so are there other players who aren't quarterbacks who should be at the Heisman ceremony? Marvin Harrison Jr. would have a strong case to be there. What about Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee? Or what about Blake Corum? What about Bijan Robinson from Texas? I, I don't think there was that standout defensive player. This I think I think this would have been the year. The door would have been open this year for a defensive player to have a huge year and win the Heisman. But I don't think anybody quite rose to that level, at least not statistically, to make a real run at the Heisman this year. But I, 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 I do think realistically, I think the four quarterbacks are there are probably the four quarterbacks who deserve to be there. I mean, I mean, certainly Hendon Hooker has a case. And I think if he hadn't gotten injured, he would be at the Heisman ceremony. I mean, Bryce Young even has a case, even though he didn't have the year he had last year. You could certainly make a case for him being there as well. But, you know, I think if you're just going straight off quarterbacks, you can make a good case for these four quarterbacks being the guys there. But this probably would have been a year where it would have made more sense to get some non-quarterbacks invited to the ceremony, and and that didn't happen. Then is there one guy you think should have been in for sure that would for sure have been in your top four that was not in? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd probably go with Blake Corum. I mean, even though he didn't get to play much against Ohio State, I mean, he, he was phenomenal for the first 11 games of the year, and he was the biggest reason why Michigan was 11-0 entering that game. So for me... I would have had Blake Corum. I think if if I had a ballot, I didn't really think about it that much because I didn't actually have one. But I think if I had had a ballot, I probably would have had Caleb Williams number one, C.J. Stroud number two, and Blake Corum number three. Although Marvin Harrison Jr. would have gotten some serious consideration for me as well with with the year he had for Ohio State at wide receiver. Dan, we don't expect C.J. Stroud to win the Heisman, of course, but there are other Buckeyes up for awards. Do we think? Any of them do take home some individual hardware here. Marvin Harrison Jr. could potentially take home the Belitnikoff Award. He does have some stiff competition, of course. Jalen Hyatt, as you mentioned, for Tennessee with some outlandish numbers this season. Does he win that award, Dan? Should he win that award? And anybody else in terms of the Scarlet and Gray that's up for something that you think should end up winning one? Yeah, I, I think he should win the Belitnikoff. I could see it going either way between Marvin Harrison and Jalen Hyatt, because if you just look at stats, Jalen Hyatt did have the bigger overall numbers for the year. And so if Jalen Hyatt wins for Bolitnikov, I won't be surprised, but I do think Marvin Harrison deserves it. I mean, just look at all the spectacular catches we saw from Marvin Harrison Jr. this year. I mean, Mar- Marvin was doing things that no other receiver in college football was doing this year. And so I, I do think Marvin deserves to win the Bolitnikov. Not sure if we'll see any other national individual award winners. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I don't exactly know how the lot impact trophy picks its winner, but I feel like Tommy Eichenberg might have a chance to win that one as a finalist there. I think that would probably be the most likely other individual national award winner besides Marvin Harrison Jr. But yeah, I, I do think Marvin Harrison Jr. should win the Bolitnikov on Thursday night. And if not, I think there will be a lot of tweets from the likes of Brian Hartline and other Ohio State wide receivers about Marv getting snubbed. We'll wind down here with some quick hitters with some non-football topics, Dan, really quick. Ohio State men's basketball 
Number 25 in the AP poll now for the second straight week, coming off the heels of a one and one week. I went to Duke, suffered a nine point loss. Not really a bad loss, I would say, for Hausay playing a 17th ranked Duke team with a lot of five star freshman talent on that roster. I thought Hausay played pretty hard in that one, showed, showed some things, even on it wasn't their best night. And they still made it competitive with Duke on the road at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Come back for a, a, a non-conference by game against St. Francis. End up winning by 37. All four freshmen in that one this past weekend finished the, the four main freshmen. The Fab Four, Dan, if, if you were to call them as uh, to label them as such, all finished in double figures. That was the first time in eight years that four true freshmen had done that for the Buckeyes, who are going to start Big Ten play on Thursday against the Rutgers team that just knocked off Number 10, Indiana, one of the best defenses in the country right now. And Ohio State women's basketball actually opened Big Ten play against Rutgers on Sunday. Got a win there coming off of a big win in their own ACC Big Ten challenge game against Louisville. Uh, Ohio State women's basketball still undefeated this season. Buckeyes are now third in the country, which is tied for their highest ranking in program history. So uh, a fantastic season continuing on there. They've been really fun to watch, just seeing what they're doing with Taylor Mikesell, JC Sheldon, Rebecca Makula-Shakova, all three of them really having phenomenal starts to the year. And that defense has really been forcing a lot of turnovers. And so going to be fascinating to continue watching. How, how they do this season as I think they're really starting to assert themselves as a, a very real final four contender in women's basketball this year. And, and an, another team that's currently in the midst of an NCAA tournament run, Ohio State women's volleyball in the Sweet 16. The Buckeyes will play Minnesota, who they went one and one against in the regular season on Thursday in the Sweet 16. And then if they if they advance past that, most likely would face a meeting with Texas, who they did lose to during the regular season. And, and Texas is the number one seed in the tournament, the number one ranked team in the country. So a tough weekend ahead for Ohio State women's volleyball, but a team that has had a, a really good year and, and will try to build on that this weekend as, as they look to try to make a run to the Final Four. Yeah, all those teams will be playing games coming up here. You will have to wait a little while to watch the football team play again, of course, on the 31st at 8 p.m. on New Year's Eve in Atlanta at the Peach Bowl. Ohio State, Georgia, number one versus number four there. It's a big one, Dan, and we're, we're going to be giving you guys a whole lot of coverage about that game all month long. Yep, we'll be back next week. So tune in again then, and we'll talk to you soon.